0: Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read verse 24 to begin our time together. So if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word, I'm going to read verse 24 and then we'll dig into the rest of the context as we move through the sermon. Hear the word of Christ to us today. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ says to us through the Apostle Paul, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this powerful word from the Apostle Paul. God, we thank you for... Uh, the book of Acts, the, the acts of your spirit where you are taking the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And, and we stand here today with Bibles in hand, with your word before us, because your spirit moved among these men. Your spirit pushed a man like the Apostle Paul out to the nations. God, we stand here today as a reverberation of the work that you were doing even here with these men by the power of your spirit. And God, we pray today that you would continue that work in Richmond. God, there are folks that we will look into the eyes of tomorrow who need to hear Jesus, who need to hear about the cross, who need to hear the gospel. And God, we pray that your spirit would move in us in the same way that we would bear witness to his power. It's in the, Name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I as I mentioned, we I've been in at Ashland Avenue for ten years now, and before that I was at a church in Birmingham for four to five years, and so I've only really transitioned ministry one time in my life. And I have to tell you, it was probably the most painful thing that I had ever experienced. Uh, after four years of ministry uh, with a group of people uh, going on mission trips, seeing them week after week after week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, you know, uh, congregational meetings, uh, births, deaths, walking through all kinds of tragedy together in a period of four years. And it felt like that was probably 20 years at the time. And then you decide to leave, you decide to transition, and it's extremely Painful, uh, it 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 hits you in the in the gut. It's uh you know you you are on this mission together. There are bonds that that I would even say that were closer than family, that were closer than folks that you hang out with over Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, I've heard people say you know they've gone through divorce and they've said you know divorce is is worse than death the person's still alive, and yet you're going separate ways, and yet you were bound together in a certain way, and, and I sort of felt like that during that time. There were people who were, you know, why are you doing that? Some people mad, some people upset, most people happy, but there was this, uh, there was this pain, and there was this agony that sort of went on in our lives at that time. Uh, And as we get to the end of Acts chapter 20, verse 36, we have this picture of the Apostle Paul in the same sort of agony, the same sort of pain as he is meeting with these men, these elders in Ephesus who he has ministered to, who he has discipled. And now he's going to move on and he'll never see them again. And they are weeping and they are crying. And there is this gut wrenching pain that goes on. Because they were on mission together. And as we think about the issue of friendship and as we think about what it means to be friends in the context of the church, those of us who are committed to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth ought to have the closest friendships known. There ought to be this deep and abiding friendships among those who are committed to the gospel and getting this message to those who have never heard, who are committed to this mission. And we see that in the life of Paul in these two chapters. We're not going to be able to look at every verse here today, but Paul is headed to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. And everyone that he meets with on his way back to Jerusalem is telling him, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and you're going to be beaten. Uh, Along the way, he meets with the folks in Ephesus, actually the elders in Ephesus. This was a place where he spent three years planting and building and establishing a church. He left for a while. He ended up in Corinth where he probably wrote the book of Romans. And now he is headed back to Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate Pentecost. And everyone along the way is saying, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul you're going to suffer, you're going to be bound, you're going to be beaten. People who love him, who are realizing we're never going to see you again if you go that way. You shouldn't do it, Paul. And yet throughout, the only question for Paul is how fast can I get there? How, you know, what's the easiest route to get there? He's not backing down. He's committed to taking the gospel there. And even when we see him meeting with the elders in Ephesus, it seems as though he meets with just the elders because he doesn't have time to meet with everyone else. He's committed to getting to Jerusalem despite the suffering, despite the pain, despite the agony that's waiting before him. He's committed to the gospel. It's his ambition It's his goal. It is his, it is his mission in the world despite even suffering. And I would dare say if we were committed to the gospel in that way. If we saw the gospel as our greatest treasure and this mission to get it to the ends of the earth, if that's what we woke up in the morning to see happen, I would dare say our friendships with those who we are partnering with would be deeper. If we as a church, if we as a campus were more committed to this mission than we are right now, not to say we're not. But if we were more committed, if we were committed in the way that we see Paul is, our friendships would deepen. Notice in verses 18... In 19, as he talks about his ministry, this mission in Ephesus and the way that it looked like, the the way that it looked, notice as he describes it here in verse 18. He says, and when he came to them, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Speaking to the elders uh, in the churches throughout Asia Minor, specifically Ephesus, he says, you know how I lived among you, my commitment to the gospel and what all of that looked like among you the whole time. From the first time I set foot in Asia, notice verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, you saw it firsthand this mission, this this, this uh, vocation, this ministry to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, you saw it. You tasted it. You saw me weeping for the souls of others. You saw me serving in humility. You saw me serving as I suffered. You suffered with me. There was a bond there that you were involved with. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells those in Thessalonica, as he describes his ministry there, he says, we were committed not only to give you the gospel, but also our lives. And so we see with the Apostle Paul, as he is preaching the gospel, it's not just this abstract idea. He doesn't just sweep in and sweep out and and declare the gospel. He immerses himself in the lives of those in in the culture, those who he is declaring the gospel to. And as we think about our ministry, as we think about our mission, as we think about declaring this message, this is what it looks like. So often we think about mission work. And we think about folks like Eric Turner who are living in Cordoba, uh in the Andes Mountains and he wakes up every morning and he's there and he's preaching the gospel. Or we think about folks who travel around and they preach and they teach and they have a very public ministry. And yet the mission to get the gospel to the ends of the earth happens around coffee pots on a daily basis. The mission to get the gospel to the ends of the earth happens in the dailiness of life. It happens in conversations with our neighbors. It happens uh, at the ballpark. It happens around college football. It happens at picnics. It happens as we celebrate the birth of children. It happens at funeral homes. It happens in the very ordinariness of life. And Paul says, as I came in, I didn't just show up at the church and preach the revival meeting. No, I was in your homes. I lived life with you. I saw some of you get married. I saw some of you have children over this three year period of time. I was involved in your life. And so as we think about the mission, we think about the message. We can't separate it from the dailiness of life. And as we minister the gospel in the dailiness of life with one another, we are going to be bound together with this mission. We are going to be bound together in this ministry to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul says, you must hear, you had to hear the message, but I lived among you in a certain way where you would see the message. But as we see here, Paul wasn't just living in Ephesus as a nice guy, as just the guy down the street, who's a really good guy. He was declaring the message. Notice verse 20, as I lived among you, as I suffered, as we suffered together, you also saw how I did not shrink from declaring anything. Paul says, I didn't cower. I didn't back down. There were people who were after my life. There were people who were pushing me out of the city. And I did not cower. The word here is used for an animal that's caught. All of a sudden, the lights come on. And he shrinks back. Paul says that wasn't the case. I wasn't shocked by suffering. I wasn't shocked by the persecution. I wasn't shocked that there were those who were opposed to my message. But I did not shrink. I did not cower. I did not scurry. I did not flee. But notice as he continues, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. As, as I lived among you, my goal was how can I make this message make sense? If I'm with the Jews, how do I connect the Old Testament scriptures, this precious possession that you have to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's been raised from the dead, that he is Lord and that he is king over all and you must bow to him. How do I make that make sense to you? To the Gentile, how do I communicate the gospel? He is pleading, he is weeping, he is doing everything that it takes to make the gospel make sense as we move through. Uh, Acts chapter 20 and we get to verses 28 through 31. He describes the way in which he was teaching them, understanding that there are going to be those who come in after I leave, who are going to twist the message, who are going to as wolves come in to devour the flock. He said, the whole time I was there, I wanted to make sure that you were established in the message, that you understood it. I woke up, the alarm clock went off and, and what was on my mind was how does the gospel Make sense to you? How do I make it profitable? How do I make it beneficial? How do I build you up in a way that you will not be shaken? Notice verse 20, as he talks about anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, Paul had a very public ministry. We see he would stand in the synagogue, declare the gospel, but we also see here, even here, he moves from house to house. In folks living room, around the coffee table, around the dinner table, pleading that they would believe the gospel, but again, living life among them. But notice his message, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus promises that those who are gathered there would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them to do what? To witness, to bear testimony that Jesus is Lord. This this radical message that this carpenter son from Nazareth, this hibbilly redneck from Galilee, claiming to be the Messiah was beaten like a dog, hung on a stick, and died. And yet three days later, God raised him up and he is seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, I testified to the Jews who saw it as a stumbling block. I testified to the Greeks who said, that's the most foolish thing that I could ever hear. I bore witness and I said, this is true. This is reality. I saw him. I was on a road to Damascus and he blinded me. I saw him firsthand. He discipled me. He taught me this crazy outlandish message, Paul says, was true. And I declared it to the Jews and I declared it to the Greeks, no matter the consequences. And we get to this point and we see Paul has this Public ministry has this private ministry. He's preaching the gospel, but he's living life among them. And as we'll get to the end of chapter 20, we see that's why there is so much pain. You can't live life this way and not experience pain at times. You can't live life and minister among people in this way and not at times suffer. Not at times be found weeping with tears in your eyes. Why? Because that's where genuine friendship happens. If you're going to genuinely minister the gospel, you're going to genuinely have friendships. And at times it's going to genuinely hurt. That's why one of the most, uh, it's always interesting to me as a pastor, you, you get close to folks, you're ministering the gospel to them, you care for them, you're praying for them, you want what's best for them. And then they just make stupid decisions and we'll leave it at that. Or they say, hey, we're we're moving here, we're going there, we're going to this other church, or we're not going to church anywhere, and it just breaks your heart. And one of the most, the funniest thing, it's funny, don't ever say this to me, it's humorous and it's insulting and all at the same time, is when they say, hey, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with you. And you're thinking, okay, we, we were involved in gospel ministry together, uh, maybe it wasn't personal for you, but I've been praying for you. We we've been ministering together. It is personal. Just don't say that to me, okay? Because most of the time it's a click on the phone because people who say that don't have the guts to show up face to face. But anyway, uh, that's another subject. Uh, but but it is personal. When you live life together and your lives are built around the most glorious thing in the universe. We say that it is God's plan that the gospel would move to every tribe, every nation, every people. We say that the folks that live around us are lost and they're dying and they're going to hell. We say the only hope for us as we move through our lives, the difficulty of our lives is the gospel. And we build our lives around it. It better be personal. It it, it better be ingrained and, and stamped on our lives in a way that, that we can't separate the ministry of the gospel from one another. And, And that's what Paul is communicating to these men who he will never see again. This is a very personal deal. This is a deep abiding friendship that we have established here. I will never see your face again. And it hurts Paul. We will never see your face again. And it hurts. And he is proclaiming the message, proclaiming the gospel. Notice as he continues. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Everybody's telling me, Paul, you're going to die. You're going to be bound. You're going to be beaten if you go to Jerusalem. But I'm still headed out with the gospel. I'm still going to keep proclaiming this message. I'm still about everyone hearing and believing. The Gentiles hearing and believing. Declaring what is profitable. Declaring the only hope for the nations. And notice verse 23. The only thing that I know is that the Holy Spirit testifies. So Paul is saying, I am bearing witness to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's been raised from the dead. And the Holy Spirit is testifying to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me there. That's all I know. Oh, how I'm going to get there? I, I, I don't know if, if my plans are, 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 are going to work out the way that I planned them. But I know because the Spirit tells me it's true, I'm going to suffer if I go. And I'm still going. Imagine the credibility that he has before these men. I have lived out the gospel for you, declaring everything that you possibly need. And in the face of suffering, I will not stop. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel the same way that I preach the gospel to you. I'm going to keep declaring The message, how does he do it? Notice verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we have to sort of camp out here for just a little bit. Because this is Paul's life verse. I know I'm going to suffer, so how do I get through it? I know I'm going to wake up in the morning. There are going to be people who don't like my message, don't want me in their city. There's going to be people who who are trying to stop what I'm doing, so how do I get through it? I don't cling to my life. Paul, suffering, affliction awaits you. The will of God for you can't be that you move on. I don't cling to my life. Turn to chapter 21 and notice in verse 10, as he is in Caesarea, notice the dialogue that happens there. He says, while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us. He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands. Paul's there. He's preaching the gospel. He's he's visiting with the folks there who who he has relationship with, who he's declared the gospel to. And all of a sudden, this prophet shows up, takes his belt off, binds his hands, binds his feet. That'd be an extremely weird thing if it happened this morning. It's not happening, by the way, Zach. If you have any ideas about being funny, it's not happening. But the prophet shows up and binds him in verse 11. He says, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet and says this. Thus say the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This is a prophet. This is sort of. An act a drama. This is what's going to happen to you, Paul. Verse 12. And when we heard this. We and the people urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't do it. We love you. Paul, don't do it. We don't want to see you injured. We don't want to see you hurt. And then Paul answered, notice Paul's response. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? And that doesn't make any sense. Paul, we don't want you to suffer. You're breaking my heart. You don't want me to suffer? I want to suffer for Jesus. That, that makes no, no sense to us. Notice he continues. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Break, weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul, you, you say that's the will of God, then let the will of God be done. If you're going to suffer and you're willing to even die for Jesus, let the will of God be done. But notice the angst in their heart. Paul, you can't do this. This is like the parents who say, hey, you're taking my grandkids to Indonesia for the sake of the gospel. What are we going to do at Thanksgiving? What are we going to do at Christmas? You can't do that. That That's not good for them. That's not good for me. Or your friend says, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're, we're starting a, a church plant in New Mexico, but you can't do that. We need you here. And there's that sort of angst in their heart. Why is that? Why is that? Because we so often see life and even gospel ministry through our own eyes, through the comfort and safety of our own vision of our own security. We think that our expectations equal success. We've bought into this lie that we can have our best life now, which means the best way I could possibly imagine it, I can have it now. And that's a good thing. But if we live in the real world, we know that's not the way it happens from day to day. And if we live in the real world and we're declaring the gospel, we know so often that's not the way it works out. Gospel ministry is difficult. You begin to share the gospel with folks, and most often it's not as though they go, Oh, yeah, I've been waiting for you to talk to me about Jesus. I've been waiting for someone to tell me I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from God. I've been waiting for that. No, it's, ah, hey, did you see the Braves lost? Did, did you know the cowboys are playing? Yeah. It, it changed the subject. There's awkward moments. There's situations where, 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 where it's difficult. There's suffering. There, there, there's, there's, there's situations where, you know, I don't want to press through because it's going to make the relationship odd from now on. But what does Paul do? Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, I'm not clinging to my life. My life isn't a precious treasure that I have to hold on to. My expectations for the way my life is to be with more money, a better house, nice, sweet, moral kids, living status quo, the dreams that I already had. That's not what I'm clinging to. I'm not clinging to my life as a treasure. Paul would say in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That means you can't hold on to your life. Jesus would say, if you really want to live, you got to die. Take up your cross and be willing to let go of your life. Notice Paul continues, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I do not count my life of any value as a precious treasure to myself, only that I may finish my course in ministry. What is a precious treasure to Paul? What is it that he's clinging to? What is it that he wants more than anything? The gospel. What is it that he wants to see happen? What are his expectations? If you said, Paul, what are the goals for your life? What do you want out of this life? He's going to say that the Gentiles would hear the gospel. That in every city... There would be folks who would repent and believe and be saved. That's my treasure. That's what I wake up in the morning for, that I would finish this race, that I would finish the ministry notice that he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has allowed me to be a part of what he is doing in the world. He he has let me in on this magnificent story. He has has let me in on this mystery of why the world is created, that he would be king, that God would be glorified through him. And he has let me be a part of it. And I get to go tell people who have never heard what else would I cling to? What else would I want to do with my life? But to testify, notice he says, the good news of the grace of God. That's what I'm clinging to. There's no tug of war with him. There's no, I got to hold on to my life. I got to hold on to, to my dreams. Oh, the gospel, it's pulling me apart. I don't know which way. No, it's gospel. I don't care if I die. And that's where we live on a daily basis. That's where we live. Some of you wake up and you're on the way to school with your son. And you know there are things that you should talk to him about. You know he's struggling with sin. You know he's a little insecure. And you know you should share the gospel with him. But you want to be his friend. You don't want five years from now to leave your house and him to say, you know, all dad cared about was the gospel. All dad cared about was making sure I believed in Jesus. That's going to be awkward. And yet you're clinging to your life in that moment. You're clinging to your dream that I can be a great father. He'll look back and we'll be buddies. We'll be friends who went to ball games together. But if you never share the gospel with him, it's vanity. You wake up in the morning and you know, you go into work. There's that friend that you have walked through difficulty with. They've gone through divorce. They've gone through death. You've walked with them through it. And yet you still have not shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them. You say, if I do... It's going to be, we have a great friendship at this point. You know, they think I am magnificent. They think I am great. I make copies for them. I work on their computer. I do everything I can to serve them. And and, and yet if I share the gospel with them, clinging to your life, you go home and that neighbor is standing outside who you know needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think, I've had a long day. I've got to get in, close the garage door, close the shades, get in and be by myself. It's been a long day. Knock on the door. Hey, buddy, how are you doing? No one's home. Not clinging to your life. I've got to have my life just the way that I want it. isolated from everyone. Clinging to your life. I've been given this money. I've been given this investment. And yet there are folks all around the world who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What can I do with it? Are you going to cling to your life? Paul says there's no tug of war here. He is clinging to the gospel. He's not clinging to his life. And that's the way he lived among them. And they saw it. They saw his willingness to die for the sake of the gospel, and it gave his message credibility. You see, a lot of us come in here today, and we feel good about the way that we live as Christians before our neighbors, before our coworkers, before our family. We feel good uh, about the way that we are living. And people know we're a Christian. You, you go to that thing, Ashland in Madison County. I think it's a church. It's good for you. I've seen you excited about it. Yeah, that's good. And they know we're a Christian, but we've never looked them in the eyes and said, you need to believe the gospel. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. We're clinging to our life. A lot of us use that as a cop-out. A lot of us use... Uh, some of us in here even use declaring the message as a cop-out. We'll go, we'll go door to door and we'll stand on milk cartons and we'll, we'll preach the gospel to strangers. We'll go to the college campus. We'll stand up on bricks and we'll declare the gospel. But we're not living our life among those we're declaring the gospel to. I've gone, I've gone door to door. I've walked up to people at the mall and shared the gospel. And if you, you should do that, it's good for you. But sometimes we use that like bungee jumping for Jesus. It's just sort of an adrenaline rush. You know where I struggle the most? Looking into my family's eyes and saying, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust him. You know where I struggle the most? Talking to people that I've known and and been around ballparks with and been on travel teams together and our kids are friends and and we know one another, just turning to them and going, yeah, I I know that's going on in your life and what you need is Jesus. Jesus. Hey, will you pray for me? I know you're a pastor. Yeah, I'll pray with you, but but let me tell you about Jesus. Sometimes we even use a distant proclamation of the gospel as a cop-out for actually living the gospel among those that we say we love. Very first sermon in the Friends series, those that we're friends with, those that we love, we become vulnerable to, we share the mystery of God with, just like Jesus did to his disciples. Notice, Verse 36, as we move through the chapter, as we see what sort of bond this gospel ministry, living among those he's declaring the gospel to, declaring the gospel without compromise. Notice what it looks like in verse 36. As he finally is leaving, he's, he, he's set up in a port in Asia. Now he's going to move on. He's about to leave these elders who he's ministered to and notice what it looks like. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. And there was what much weeping on the part of all. They're cut to the core and they embraced Paul and they kissed him being sorrowful. Most of all, because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And when they had parted, From them and set sail, we came by a straight course of Kos, and the next day Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come to Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, what, what's going on? He moves from Ephesus, he's traveling along. Hey, I know some more disciples over here. He calls them out, he stays there seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Again, those who love him, you can't do this. And when our days were ended, we departed and went on a journey and they all with their wives and children accompanied us until we were accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach we prayed and said farewell to one another then when we had went on the board of the ship they had returned home it wasn't just in asia it wasn't just in ephesus it's all along the way this is the pattern of his mission proclaiming the gospel living among them and what do we see all along Deep abiding friendships. Lasting friendships where there is weeping, where there is kissing, where there is tears, where there is hugging. You cannot leave us. You can't do this. There is this bond like no other for the sake of the gospel. Imagine if we were a group of folks who woke up and said, I'm not going to cling to my life. I'm going to cling to the gospel. Declaring the gospel to those who have never believed, it's what I live for. And what if we were bound together on that mission? So often, and even as we think about friendships, one of the things that we do is we aim at friendships. And even in the context of the church, we can talk about fellowship. What's our goal? We need to have fellowship, we need to have community, and we aim at that. And sometimes we hit that goal. But if we're not ultimately aiming at mission, our friendships will be weak. Our community will be inward focus. Yeah, I've got my friends, I've got my buddies, and, and we live life together, and it's all about us. But when we're aimed at mission, we are bound together the, the, the same sort of way that you see folks who have, who have gone to war together. You see veterans who have fought for a cause And they live life together and they've gone to battle together and they've seen friends die. And they've had successes and they are bound together like no other group of people. Same things to happen in the church. But if we're just aiming for friendships, we'll miss it. You see, if we're aiming for friendships, we will miss deep and abiding friendships. But if we aim for mission, we will accomplish the mission through deep and abiding friendships. The sort of friendships that we see here with the Apostle Paul. Those of us who risk, we come in on a weekly basis and we've been praying for lost friends and lost relatives. And we've shared those prayer requests with one another. We've talked about the folks that we're sharing the gospel with and other folks have prayed for us. And you know what that does with them? That encourages them to begin to pray with folks they need to share the gospel with. And we come together and we're bound around that mission. And we begin to give so that those in the ends of the earth may hear the gospel. And that's the mission that binds us together. Even in our Bible fellowship groups, we we talk a lot for the last two months about friendship and Bible fellowship groups. And at the end of the series, I just want to be clear. Our goal is not Bible fellowship groups. That's not the mission. It's not our goal isn't friendship. Our goal isn't community. Our goal is to see folks in Richmond and Madison County, believe the gospel and be saved. Our goal is to declare the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now I believe that's going to strengthen those small groups One of the things I want to ask you to start doing in your small groups is start talking about folks who need the gospel. We come into our Bible fellowship groups and we say, you know, that lady who who I worked with, who I've asked you to pray for, she just gets on my nerves and it's constant and I'm trying to be uh, gracious to her. I'm trying to be merciful to her. At some point, somebody needs to say, well, have you shared Jesus with her? Have you shared the gospel with her? We come in and say, I'm just struggling with my, my kids. I'm just struggling uh, with, with with discipline and, and raising them in the way that they need to be raised and self-control. I'm struggling with all those things. Somebody says, hey, I'm going to pray that they believe the gospel. And, and it comes back to the mission. And that's where those small groups are, are going to be strengthened. That's where we're going to flesh out the gospel together. And, and we stop determining success in those small groups by who showed up but by who we're ministering to. Hey, we're going to pick this area of town and we're going to evangelize this area of town. Yeah, it's just five or six of us. We we can take this block. Our goal as a church is to reach Madison County with the gospel. We'll take these streets. Hey, guys, we got these streets. And you, you talk about it and you pray about it. And you begin to strategically live out the gospel there. So many of us, we, we, we want to be a part of a church where, where the gospel is preached without compromise. And that's what we need to be a part of. If you're looking for a church, you need a church where the gospel is clear, where the gospel is championed, and where there is no apology when the word of God is preached. That's what you need. You need pastors who are declaring the word of God. And you can pray for me as soon as I stop doing it, that I would be taken out of the pulpit. But here's a question for you. Do you on a daily basis declare the gospel the way that you want your church and pastor to do it? Hey, I want my I I want my pastor to be able to to confront the sin that's in the culture and to talk about, you know, all that's gone wrong in the culture. and, And I want him to I want him to preach. Well, what about you? You see, it's easy to push that on someone else. It's easy to just sort of be a part of a generic group of people where you say that's where the gospel is preached. That's where the word of God is preached. Do you engage the loss that you're around on a daily basis the same way you would want your pastor to? Hey, pastor, I brought my friend today and it wasn't a very evangelistic sermon. What? Well, then go share the gospel with them at lunch. Make up for it. Sorry about your luck. It was about Jesus. Surely you can do something with that. Or or it's so easy to want to be a part of something like that and not personalize it. Our church is only going to be as strong as you personalize it. We are a church committed to the Great Commission, but it is fulfilled by individuals who are making disciples on a daily basis around copy machines, in coffee shops. In living rooms. Across from the breakfast table. Living life together and yet not scared. Not cowering back to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Invested in 11, 12 men. And sent them out. And you know what will happen here? If we share the gospel. Hey, Pastor... We're just not evangelistic enough. Well, where's the last, when's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? It, you, you know, we start personalizing that, individualizing that. You know what's going to happen? People are going to believe in Jesus and be saved. Hey, pastor, I haven't seen enough people around here believe and be saved. We'll share the gospel with more people. It's going to happen sooner or later. People are going to believe they're going to be saved. They're going to become a part of a church. They're going to be discipled. They're going to be trained. And you know what's going to happen time and time again? We, like Paul and his friends, are going to be weeping and crying because we're sending folks out. Hey, you you want to go to that state, be a part of a new church plant? Go right ahead. Hey, you want to start a new BFG? Hey, we've, we've been together for five years, and I'll still see you at the ballpark. See you later. Or, or you want to go to the mission field? You want to go to the ends of the earth? We may not be able to communicate because you ain't going to have any internet access. But go. It breaks my heart. But go. The gospel is my greatest treasure. The gospel is your greatest treasure. And, and that mission is what binds us together as friends. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the gospel. Help us to, God, help us to give our lives over to this task, to this mission. God, I pray that even, even here today, there are ways in which we can all be better at sharing our lives with others. There are ways in which we are, we're holding back. Ways in which we, we never even thought of where we can use our life to see those around us hear and believe. And God, I pray today that we would determine with the Apostle Paul that we would not count our lives dear to ourselves. Whatever it takes to see the gospel move forward. And God, I pray as we are committed to that, that you would bind us together, that you would forge us together on this great mission. That we would truly be able to look into the eyes of one another and say, that's my friend like no other. Because they are committed to my good. They are committed to the gospel. And we are bound together no matter what. And I pray that it would happen. God, we thank you for Jesus. And even as we hear. About where we fall short. Ways in which we need to be better at preaching the gospel. God, we praise you that you do not fall short, that you have communicated clearly the good news that through Jesus Christ we can be saved. God, I pray today that no matter what, we would trust in Jesus' perfection for us. The way that he lived his life without flaw or without blemish before you. God, I pray today that if there's someone here today who has never followed Jesus, that today would be the day. That they turn from their sin. They give their life to Him. Trusting that just as you raised Him from the dead, they will be raised from the dead. And I pray that it would be so in Jesus' name. Amen.